So Mrs. Miller passed both audiological and neurological exams. We cannot find anything that explains why she's hearing music. No, how about this for an explanation? She's cuckoo pants. Run some more tests, interpret a psych. Hey, Miss Miller, we just need a stool sample. Why do you need a stool sample if you think I'm just a nut? Cause the answer's not in your head, my dear. It's in your butt. You see, everything comes down to poo. From the top of your head to the sole of your shoe. We can figure out what's wrong with you by looking at your poo. Turk? Do you have a hemorrhoid or is it rectal cancer? When you flush your dookie down, you flush away the answer. It doesn't really matter if it's hard or if it's loose. We'll figure out what's ailing you as long as it's a deuce. Yes! Everything comes down to poo. Everything comes down to Cardiovascular and lymphatic, yes, the nervous system too. All across the nation, we trust in defecation. Everything comes down to poo. If you want to know what's wrong, don't sit and act so cool. Just be a man and eat some bread and drop the kids off at the pool. My stomach hurts. Check the poo. Sprain my ankle. Check the poo. I was shot. Check the poo. A homeless guy threw poo in my eye. Check the poo. Mine are his. First him, then you. It may sound gross. You may say shush, but we need to see what comes out of your tush. Because everything comes down to poo, whether it's a tumor or a touch of the flu. Please won't you pinch us off a big fat clue? Our number one test is your number two. If there's no precise unmatched, please Welcome to another episode of Friends Talking Nerdy. This is Tim Jalsma, and with me I've got Her Holiness, the Reverend Tracy, as well as Professor Aubrey. How are you both doing this week? Doing good. How about you, Aubrey? It's been a while. It has. I'm doing great. Doing great. All right. What are you nerding out about this week? You two. You two together. What are you nerding out about? Well, I wanted to talk about this season particularly, but overall the show that I've come to really look to be kind of my um, my guilty pleasure, as I often claim that I don't like reality TV, but this is a great exception, and it is the Great British Bake Off. And uh, particularly this year, it has started back. It did not die of COVID, and uh, it is uh, actually different this year, and I wanted to talk about that a little bit, uh, how they own it, and how I think it's even kind of aided the show in a sense. But uh, what have you liked about it so far, Professor Aubrey? Well, I, too, really love the show, and 
Um, I don't even think of it as a guilty pleasure because you can actually learn things by watching it. So to me, that's like educational television. You don't even have to feel guilty about. I know. I love that my guilty pleasure like is just that it's the fact that it's reality TV. Right. Like that for some reason, I feel like it should be viewed as less. And you're right. It really shouldn't be. That's on me. <laughs> I don't feel guilty at all when I watch it. Um but yeah, this year it is it's I really like the new host. So, um Noel Fielding is returning, but um Matt, do you know his last name? I I do. That's Matt Lucas, and I personally knew him from Bridesmaids. Uh, but I oh. guess I learned in looking this up, he did a stint on Doctor Who for 2017, uh, recurring for a minute. So I'm not sure if he was a um, a companion or what. But uh, I love him. He's a comedian. He was on. Uh, he was um, on a couple of episodes. Um, he is primarily known, however. There's a, a British uh, sketch comedy show called Little Britain. He was the one of the uh, co-hosts on that. Um, I believe you can find that on HBO Max. Um, narrated by Tom Baker, who was the fourth Doctor, so another Doctor Who tie-in. But um, really, really, really funny show. And being British, you know, they 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 don't cut. They they don't. Yeah, they don't cut to the. Sh- I mean, they they go nuts. They go nuts. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So there's a new a new host. With Noel, and I like him so far, at least as well as I liked um, the prior host that he's re- um, replacing. Yeah, Sandy. Sandy's the one that's no longer with us. And she, and really, they were both kind of newer anyway with uh, a trade off that happened a long time ago. It had to do with why we also lost the beloved Mary Berry, who, you know, throwbacks to the classics. There's just nothing more delightful than watching Mary Berry. Uh, do anything she is elegant and adorable at the same time uh but yeah so another thing about this year that i really loved is that they immediately went into the season and just owned the elephant in the room and straight discussed the bake-off bubble from the get-go like they're not trying to hide behind some veil that like everything's normal here folks it's like no we we talked to everybody and uh i guess that took a lot of getting into um but is there anything else about the show itself before I kind of nerd out about this bubble idea and how it came to be. Uh, just that, you know, I like that they recognize the NHS too, right from the beginning. So in Britain, a lot of the response to COVID has been focused on preserving the NHS and how important that is. Uh, and part of their COVID response was framed in the context of saving their healthcare system. And so it's been fun to see that like pops up every once in a while, like they did the colorful bagels and they were NHS, apparently NHS is rainbow and. uh, Yeah. And I guess that sparked some off air controversy. I don't follow a lot of that stuff. Like I've, I don't know if you ever heard of ice cream gate from prior seasons or. Okay, exactly. I I find it to be a completely delightful show and I'm not the type of person to go into, um, you know, the, the nitty gritty of what people do outside of the set. I figure if it's bad enough, producers will fire them. Right. That's kind of how I feel. But uh, I guess, like, there's been a little bit of a hubbub about the rainbow bagels not being, like, a thing to promote the LGBTQ of the community. Like, there's a little bit of a, a thing going on between Great British Bake Off and the fact that they threw that not to LGBTQ. So just a little side note out there that that happened uh, across Twitter and social media. <laughs> interesting, interesting. 
But yeah, but see, your explanation actually really makes sense as to why they'd want to highlight that mm. and do it as a celebration for that. Like maybe it wasn't necessarily a slight. It kind of goes back to, I know Tim and I have talked about it recently, the intent of it. So it's kind of cool to hear that from that other intent of that one because I hadn't picked that one up yet. I just kind of gleamed that on Google and just like scrolled past it. I'm mm. like, oh, okay, people are mad. I, I'm Interesting. <laughs> but the bagels look delicious. <laughs> Yeah, I thought the rainbow bagels were uh, incredible. Yeah, but uh, so the Bake Off bubble, I thought it was really kind of neat because it really came as a result of the director, uh, Kieran Smith, that they found out that the crew that they usually used weren't going to be eligible for certain benefits during the pandemic. And they found, they figured, you know what, we already have all the bakers selected. Let's just talk this out, see if we can like do a bubble. And a, uh, a friend of his suggested this local hotel, and that's kind of what turned into how we have the ability to have this show this season and why they're still able to pat each other on the back, you know. I mean, because it wouldn't be Bake Off if I didn't see another contestant be able to like landslide in to save another contestant's bake. Like, <laughs> could you imagine if they tried to do this show and maintaining like all of the distance? Yeah, so and that distance. was. Yeah, and that was part of the reason they initially weren't going to do it, and they thought they weren't going to. But you know, the whole point of the bubble was so they could be close to each other. Um, there were tons of hurdles to jump through, and it's not even the filming that was the easy part, I guess. But you know, you had people with families and kids, and they were asking everybody to relocate. Um, so if you noticed in the recent episode, I watched on Netflix, so I'm a little behind. I, I think there's actually one tonight. I think it airs on Tuesdays. But uh, at the last episode, Bread Week, which we were talking about with the rainbow bagels, the mm-hmm. girls come up to the dad afterwards at the end. Oh. And those are moments you never got before. So um, it's been just a really cool season to watch. And uh, like it's, it's a mix because I think the comedy is better in a way. And maybe that's because they're all essentially roommates. I don't know if it's more that or because of Matt. Because uh, Matt Lucas is great. Noel is also really funny. I love I love him as well. And I think they play really well off of each other. But I think some of it may be because they live together right now, which is a unique opportunity in some of this reality show. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of like Big Brother meets um, the Bake Off. <laughs> But they seem to be, they seem to all be getting along really well. Like, it definitely feels, um, feels like everybody's getting along. It feels like the bakers, it does feel like they're a little bit closer, even though they're always really close. Um, oh, yeah. I, I'm super enjoying Sarah's facial expressions as she tries to deal with just Noel's humor in general. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, and there's also, like, the one minute left. Like, you could kind of put her next to, what was that, the the shocked groundhog back in the day? Like, I'm pretty sure, like, not making fun of her at all. I think she's adorable and precious and great, and I love watching her. And I also, (laughs) as as a person who considers myself a student of equanimity, I aim to find the level of zen that Rowan has with his ability to hold a cup of tea, like, while he's doing the most stressful shit in a challenge. So, um super treat i i could personally go on on this show forever because i think it's great normally and it just seems especially good this year so wanted to give it a good shout out yeah people should check it out and if i mean if there are people out there who've never watched it even if you're not into baking or cooking it is just a a really fun show to watch and there are eight seasons of it there are even more seasons of it in its prior form so it used to be called the great british bake-off now it is called the Great British Baking Show. Uh, I think it's been on the air in England for about 20 years. 
At least 10 years. Yeah. And I guess there's still a lot of people who's like, it's still a Great British Bake Off. Like, the, the hashtags for it, there's a whole... Like I said, but I don't follow all the social media. I'm just like, what is it being called today? And yeah. I do my best. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. I think it is Great British Baking Show, which is funny because I went back and forth on whether I should call it that. <laughs> <laughs> It'll always be the Bake Off, right? <laughs> oh, so what about you, Tim? What have you been nerding out about this week? Oh, me. I've been spending a lot of time on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash ftnerdy. And this week I've been playing a lot of Grand Theft Auto V. Awesome. So is it uh, Grand Theft Auto still offer the amazing feature of abducting hookers, having your way with them, and taking all the money anyway? Uh, yes. Uh, if, if, oh, great. <laughs> if, if you can actually uh, get them to your car. I mean, there was a strip club. Oh, they're smarter now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, me, like, uh, at, at one time this week, I was at a strip club and um, in the game. And, um, <laughs> Good clarifier there. Yeah, yeah. And, Take uh, that sound bit to the internet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I was able to, um, in, in, you know, be befriend a stripper and convince her to come back to my place but then what i apparently forgot to do was leave my car like right outside so i had to run around the corner to get my car but then when i drove back she was gone so just uptight woman just i I couldn't believe that so wait a second now there's the added advantage or hold on the added challenge of you can no longer just be like sup baby you want twenty dollars get in my car now you actually have to work the whole idea of manipulating somebody to come back to your place grand theft auto you never cease to amaze with the skills you impart upon our youth so many interesting things like um they i they have a fully functional movie theater uh you can show up to the movie theater and watching it's not going to be a full-fledged two-hour movie it's it's i mean it's usually like five minutes or less or something of of silly stuff they put together but the fact that you can do that i think is pretty amazing um the graphics in grand theft auto 5 i mean it should go without saying that they are just top of the line they they push the boundaries of what video games can do um i love swimming i mean the water looks realistic when when you're swimming in it um especially underwater and just um more than anything being able to cause mayhem i mean it it brings me back to when i first started playing the original grand theft auto in the late 90s my friend chris uh, introduced me to it and then all he would do um I, i guess with the original grand theft auto on the playstation once the game loaded to where you can actually start playing it you could actually take the game disc out and put a music disc in. The game would continue to play, but the radio stations would end up being uh, whatever CD you ended up putting in. So he would, uh, you know, light up his bong, fire that up, and uh, play a lot of Grand Theft Auto. Uh, but it, it, for a series that's been going on for well over 20 years now, just so, so good. And um, like I said, uh, we've been playing playing a lot of that uh, on the Twitch channel as of late. Uh, that in WWE 2K20, you know, real intellectual highbrow stuff. Um, but um, it, there's also been uh, uh, reports that uh, uh, Rockstar Games is um, in the finishing stages of Grand Theft Auto 6 because news came out today uh, that they uh, that there uh, was 
a, a leak of the potential map on what uh, Grand Theft Auto 6 is going to look like and um, if it's as large or larger than what Grand Theft Auto 5 had to, uh, offered because um, Grand Theft Auto 5 has you know a regular city, it has country, just mountainous regions, just tons and tons and tons of areas to explore, people to talk to, lots of mayhem to cause. Uh, just one heck of a really, really good game. Yeah, true beauty of a sandbox game, but, you know, have they released when they're going to come out with the condom? Have they done it yet? Because, you know, Fable did it. I'm not aware of a Grand Theft Auto condom. (laughs) (laughs) That's me, because I never got into Grand Theft Auto, but when I think of the sandbox games, I think of the fact that they decided Fable needed a sheepskin sheath or whatever it was called. But it was totally like a Trojan condom, and like when you pulled it up in the items, it swirled and everything. It was just kind of silly. But, uh, you know, but you could get STDs in Fable too, but I don't think that exists in Grand Theft Auto. So in that world, it's just bro science that STDs are a myth. Like, <laughs> something like it's all fake news, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I'm glad you're enjoying the, the new video game system and everything, right? This is all kind of coming with that for you. So, getting back into the, the game world, and is Professor Aubrey still dealing with the, the human that comes out when Tim plays a game? <laughs> uh, she definitely is. She definitely is. Um, I, you know, it's made me aware one of how long I can play video games especially in the Twitch channel because the Twitch channel there'll be like a little counter up top telling you how long the broadcast has been going on and even with something like a Lego game like you play one level on a Lego game that can run you easily 45 minutes so if you play three or four levels um, you're in for a few hours deep so it's it's made me realize just how long I can play the game so I've you know the good thing about the Twitch channel is that it's made me more cognizant of when it's time to shut the game off um but to yeah just because I, I was playing um football earlier madden nfl 17 and um that, as usual i have it on easy mode because i don't like to lose and yet there, <laughs> the, and yet there was a i mean i was comfortably ahead um yet there was one point where my quarterback threw an interception and just i, I called him a, a dirty goat fucker or something like that just just out and, and Aubrey was just like what the hell <laughs> you know it's just a game and i'm like but i don't want to lose no but She's learning how to deal with that. So, well, good. I'm glad that that hasn't torn you guys apart or anything. No, no, no. I, it, you know, that would be very bad on my part if if a Lego game were the cause of uh, any sort of problems or anything like that. It's just me not liking to lose. But anyway, let's go on to our top five favorite. Yeah, we've got drum roll if it comes through. We've got musicals this week that we picked um so how did you find the the overall musical topic going for you did you struggle was it easy are you a musical theater nerd and we learned this about you (laughs) um i do like musicals somewhat uh let's put it that way um i i mean i was thinking of having some standards on my list like singing in the rain but um i you know for top five favorite, I don't know if I would have put Singing in the Rain in my top five so that, you know, that didn't end up making the list. But what I found is more often than not, I will go for uh, movies 
that use music in terms of moving the story along, but not in a not necessarily in a traditional sense, like you, like what you would think in a Broadway play where everybody is singing back and forth. Um, yeah, it, there's styles of musical basically. It's like there's some very classics that are like, oh wait, I guess that is kind of a musical. Like when you think about it, because they did use music to move the story, it just wasn't all the dialogue doesn't happen around music. Like there's there's styles here is what we're saying. I think exactly. Exactly, and, and and more than anything, we just wanted to celebrate um, uh, this type of entertainment because you know music is is a great unifier. Music is is a great way to um, kind of break down walls that people build up between each other. And what better way to do that than you know talking about our favorites? So how about since I started first last week, you go first this week. What is your first choice? Well, this one is going to be kind of one that's not a traditional musical in the sense, but it does use a lot of music to move the story along, and it is also a TV series. It is Glee. Yep, I am a Gleek. I will totally admit it. I loved the show. Um, I actually watched it all the way up uh, for several seasons. Have you ever watched any Glee? No. Um, <laughs> I... I... I know my taste, and I know that if I did try to give it a shot, I would absolutely hate it. Um, but that's just my taste. Um, what... Oh, totally. Yeah. Not for everybody. I, I love the music. I love the singing talent. I love the little production values and that they do different styles of things and choreography, and they do a lot. And I guess that's possibly between a mixture of my interest in directing, my interest in acting, and in singing performance. Like, it just... it tantalizes me on many levels well that's what i that's and, what i really respect about the show um more than anything um i i respected the fact that it opened the doors to different types of genre to people that may not have given something a chance like they um you know went out of their way to uh sing a lot of rock songs as well and you know i i, I have to assume that particular audience may not necessarily like rock music but the fact that they were able to sing it in a way that kind of um made the people that like that particular type of pop music um it it, it opens doors and, and i i think that's a beautiful thing Thing, but go ahead yeah uh but so it originally released in 2009 i didn't get into it until the netflix era of kind of just being able just to watch a show but i immediately was addicted to rachel's voice i'm not sure if that has anything to do with my hearing but that just happens to me sometimes where it's just i can't get enough of a voice or an instrument or a style or whatever but she's one of those i've made several glee play playlists but uh like for her it was a uh, particularly her performance of Defying Gravity from Wicked, which is a musical I desperately want to see but have not yet, so it unfortunately couldn't make it on this list. But uh, I think the most respect I had for the show, and this was right around the time I was already fading out, like, um, so it didn't have to do with this situation, but I don't know if you knew or remembered, but one of the main actors, Corey Monteith, had unfortunately had an overdose yeah. uh, or drug complication, whatever that turned out actually being. Again, I don't follow people personally to a point. I just know he died and it had to do with mixing or overdosing. But I had a lot of respect for how they handled it because they did a tribute in season five, episode three, and uh, they very intentionally never addressed how the character died. But basically just that it didn't matter how it happened, just that it happened and we are grieving the loss of this person. 
and a super gut-wrenching fact when you realize that Leah Michelle, who plays Rachel, was also his girlfriend in real life. And I absolutely can't imagine having to act through that. She did. Uh, there was a lot of soul put in that, especially when she said, you know, he was my person. It just, it slays you. But overall, I, I love it. I At that point, it was already just kind of getting to a point where I happened to be done watching it. But super enjoyable. If I was ever sleepy at work, I could always put on a stupid police soundtrack and I'd be like thrilled as shit and wide awake. So giving it kudos for soundtrack alone. And it's so long because it goes on forever. So you won't get, you won't run out of things to listen to. Alrighty. Well, I will go with the first one on my list here. Um, this one is an absolute classic. I mean, I think most people have seen it, um, are aware of it. It's become a part of our pop culture, part of culture, period. It's The Wizard of Oz. It did not end up on my list, so go for it. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite stories overall, I mean, growing up, um, my, my grandmother, uh, it was about 85, 86 when the Disney show, um, when the Disney show... Uh, Disney movie Return to Oz was released, which was technically a sequel. Um, but she uh, had some copies of the old L. Frank Baum books and ended up reading those and absolutely loving them. Um, and just just the, the movie. I, it's one of the few old-time movie musicals that I can put on and watch from start to finish and absolutely love. Um, some t- some trivia from the movie. Um, we actually started uh, using a shared drive for our notes and, you know, go, looking at your notes kind of spurred me on to add a little trivia as well. So, um, so for... The- trivia it is it is um this character in uh, near the beginning of the film when dorothy first tries to escape uh with toto to leave because um one of the neighbors wants to take toto away a character by the name of mr marvel he's wearing a jacket in that movie um the interesting thing is that that jacket has a history they found out after the filming that the jacket that that character wore used to be owned by l frank baum the writer of The Wizard of Oz. So that was a nice little uh, tidbit there. Um, the film, uh, we we have uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs to thank for The Wizard of Oz uh, because studios at that time uh, were not making movies for kids. Um, but they saw that once Snow White uh, was a success, hey, maybe kids will come out and see something else. So um, we can thank uh, Snow White for the creation of that. Uh, Buddy Epson, who played Judd Clampett on The Beverly Hillbillies, was originally supposed to be the Tin Man, but uh, he ended up losing the role uh, because the makeup that they used, uh, he was allergic to it. Um, and last but not least, I mean, my, the highlight for me of that film is Margaret Hamilton as the Wicked Witch. I mean, she is, yeah. if anything, she's the world's first Bond villain. Um, just, just play, you know, choose the scenery wherever she's at. Um, she did get uh, severely burned at the beginning. There's a scene where her uh, the witch disappears um, but they were on the soundstage and uh, they, they like lowered her down and shot up like some smoke or whatever. But it, ca- it caused her to have a severe burn. But just the music's great. The story's great. The acting's great. Just everything about this movie is, is, is the tops. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it, obviously. I, I love, I don't know a kid who didn't really love that movie. I mean, even just from the movie, she's melting! <laughs> um, just making fun of that stuff on a level. It, I've seen it, but it didn't make it on my list of my tops. But as far as do I have a very distinct memory, yes. Um, especially, you know, seeing it remastered. 
you know, later because I remember at one point having a black and white TV and then at another point having a color TV where you see all the colors. Yep. Right? Like the shoes particularly, they really like did a lot of reworking on the shoes. Um, and I wanted to say there was some weird trivia around that, but it, I don't have it to a point of where I feel like it would be accurate, so I'll keep it to myself. But oh. if I find it, I'll, I'll share it on the page. But well, I thought I know- there was something about when they... Hmm? No, go ahead. Oh, oh, just when they remastered it for TV, there was something about the very intentionally making those shoes like a very vibrant red, uh, just because they were doing it for a lot of people having color televisions. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was the Technicolor process. I know um, when they have the scene to where Dorothy uh, runs and opens the door and sees Munchkinland for the first time, um, you know, the, the how they were able to make it look like she was going from uh, uh, black and white to color is that everything was essentially painted in a sepia tone inside the house, and then when she opened the door, it was, it was regular that way. Um, but uh, just a lot of great special effects, a lot of great singing. It's great. All right, what's your next one? Okay, so my next one. I did an entire season for music, or entire series, I guess, of TV shows. But we all know there's been a lot of TV shows that have done just that one episode that was a musical. (laughs) And my absolute favorite, hands down, for many, many reasons, is Scrubs, my musical from season six, episode six. And I'm pretty sure I've already asked you if you are a Scrubs fan, but I'm not sure if anybody on the show would happen to know if you are. So have you seen the episode I'm talking about? Uh, not that particular episode, no. Um, I, I don't have a dislike for Scrubs, um, but I've never it never really got my attention enough to make me want to see it. And, and generally, I'm not really a sitcom fan overall, um, but you know, from what I've seen, it's, it's okay, just not my cup of tea. Episode is kind of one of those little gems in there of if I were going to try to twist someone's arm and watch it, especially if you do have an appreciation for musicals, this is a good one. It aired in 2007, and I guess the writers had long wanted to do a musical episode. One of the main writers is a little bit of a musical theater geek, and I guess Donald Faison and Judy Reyes, who play the Turks, you know, uh, um, oh gosh, Chris Turk and Carla, uh, they were Broadway style singers and dancers. And a lot of the cast had musical and dancing background. Um, even Sarah Chalk, who <laughs> in this episode, she talks about it in the commentary because I love this episode so much. I've seen it with the commentary where they had her on, but she is very famously tone deaf because of Scrubs. Um, and I loved the nod they did to it. And even how they worked around it in the show, um, you can hear it. You know, you know, there are some spots where she... <laughs> If you can call it singing, she sings. But you could tell that they worked really hard to make it at least work because she needed to be part of this musical episode. Right. Um, but I especially appreciate there's this part where the character makes a joke. Uh, Elliot Reed is who Sarah Shock plays. And, you know, she was always joking about her dysfunctional childhood and her, her mother and, and stuff like that. And uh, there's a joke made about how an MC at one of her performances as a child, like, said, nope, hell is whoever had to listen to you sing that. Or something, and I guess like uh, that was lightly based off of a real experience from Sarah Chalk's childhood, like <laughs> not how it finished with the mother sleeping with him to get revenge and ruining his marriage. Like that—that that wasn't based on reality, but just the idea that somebody had made fun of her as a child, like uh, on a musical performance she did. Um, but last nod to this episode specifically is a major respect for Scrubs, as they had a real life JD. 
um, a doctor named Jonathan Doris. So they didn't even stray too far to give, you know, credit where it was due. But they insisted that any medical ailments on the show, like they wanted it to be factual. They didn't want it to be another house or another show that just accidentally taught misinformation. Right. So they reached out. They said what would cause this. And it was a Mayo Clinic study that provided the answer. Um, spoiler alert, she had a, a hemorrhage or, or an aneurysm going on or something like that. But Miss Miller, who was played by Stephanie D'Abruzzo, um, one of the original stage cast members of Avenue Q. Uh, the songs are awesome. The guest is awesome. The choreography is great because they do a lot of really big numbers with a lot of big choreography. Uh, they pretty much hit every style of musical across the songs. <laughs> There's not a single song on the soundtrack this episode I don't like. So that alone like even though it is one episode not an entire movie just makes it one of my favorite musical anythings nice all right my next choice came out in 1964 directed by richard lester it's about uh four lads you may have heard of called the beatles it's a hard day's night i'm assuming you've seen it i actually have not not a big beatles fan um but I, that surprises people a lot of times, too. I love John Lennon, though, but I was just never a huge Beatles fan. But go on. What what about it makes it your favorite? Um, I mean, overall, just a really well-done film. I mean, the music, first of all, top-notch from first song to last. Um, they got a great cast. Um, some bits of trivia here. Phil Collins actually makes a cameo in the movie. He was a kid, and um, at the end of the movie, uh, the Beatles give uh, give a small concert uh, that's being recorded for a television show they're going at, and Phil Collins is one of the screaming kids in the audience. So a little, little <laughs> nice. bit of trivia there. Um, another bit of trivia is that this, thanks to this movie, um, we have uh, we have a couple of what folks consider some of the greatest rock love songs ever because George Harrison met a model who had a bit part in the movie by the name of Patty Boyd. Um, he ended up marrying her and wrote the song uh, Something For Her. Um, they ended up getting divorced and she ended up marrying Eric Clapton. Um, and Eric Clapton had loved her for a long time and wrote the song Layla in Wonderful T- Tonight for her. So uh, we, we, we got that. Um, the grandfather, um, Paul McCartney's uh, grandfather has, uh, it, was, it wasn't his real grandfather, it was an actor, but uh, he's a character in there, um, played by Wilfred Bramble. Uh, he played in a TV show in England called Steptoe and Son um, that in the 70s, was turned into a show you may have heard of called Sanford and Son. Um, so uh, that was a nice uh, little bit of trivia there. But just overall, just uh, start to finish, You, I just love the interplay between the four. I love the music. Um, it's, it's a nice, breezy, simple story. You don't have to, you know, rack your brain to figure out what's going on or whatever. But just um, overall, the four, the, you know, the John Paul, George, and Ringo, their their personalities just shine uh, throughout. You know, and just it, it's 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 a classic. Even if you are not a Beatles fan, I think you would get some enjoyment out of it. So, what's your next one? So my next one is Little Diddy that came out just a year after I was born in 1986 and starred a young Rick Moranis. It is Little Shop of Horrors. Um, So I'm assuming you've seen this one. No. 
Oh my goodness, you are missing a delight and a treat of a movie. So there's also, fun fact for those of you also out there that haven't seen it, um, you'll see a young Steve Martin. Uh, he's actually the, the really annoying biker dude that eventually Aubrey 2 eats. Because, hey, by the way, this has been out since 86. I'm not going to spoil alert anything here. But uh, so Steve Martin, John Candy, and Bill Murray all kind of slide past your screen at one point. I always forget they're in there until I watch it every now and then. But uh, I could probably listen to the prologue song on repeat and not get bored just with that, lo- that alone, which I have a love-hate relationship that my favorite song is the first one. Um, <laughs> but it is a really good, really good musical. Uh, for those that don't know, it is basically about this plant that they find um, that it's, it's basically, it turns out to be an alien. And, uh, but he puts together, Rick Moranis is this really dorky guy and he puts together that the plant like needs blood to like survive. Mm -hmm. And so eventually this graduates into eating people, you know, Steve Martin gets fed to it. A few other people get fed to it. So it's, it's funny. It's definitely worth a watch. And, uh, as a fun side note, I actually got to see this one done by a local college, uh, at a community college. And there is an effect that they try to do at live showing sometimes where they will work it through the scaffolding right at the end because there's like different versions of how this can end, I, I guess, when people do live performances. And so if Aubrey 2 wins and the aliens come over, there's these tentacle vines that can like drop down from your stage. <laughs> and that was the ending this one production went with where Audrey 2 wins. And so, like, I just remember thinking it was so cool that even at a community college level, they just, like, kind of pulled that off. But so not overall for, like, songs, but I just think it's a really goofy one. Um, It's funny. It's enjoyable. It's got some cast in there that you wouldn't expect to see. So I wanted to kind of make sure this one got talked about. Yeah, It's funny you mentioned Steve Martin being young at that uh, stage because his career actually started in the late 60s. Um, he was a writer and performer on the Smothers Brothers show. I mean, in terms of his movie's career, yeah, it, it was pretty yes. young. And, and I'm parsing Young is a relative term, to be yeah, fair. exactly. It is a relative term, and I get to use it that way. But uh, <laughs> yeah. what's, what about you? What about her? Unless you have anything else on Little Shop of Horror. Uh, what is your next one? Um, actually, do have a little bit on the uh, Little Shop of Horrors. It's oh. actually based on a 60s film uh, that was uh, directed by Roger Corman that starred a young Jack Nicholson. Um, the original was not a musical, of course, but um, a, a typical Roger Corman B-movie. Um, Roger Corman, yeah. for folks that don't know, um, kind of gave the, gave a start to some of the biggest legends in, in Hollywood. I mean, Jack Nicholson, Francis Ford Coppola, Jonathan Demme, Jim Cameron. Um, names, and uh, in, in, we may hear a Roger Corman movie again. Wink, wink. <laughs> in, on, <laughs> in, on the list here. But, um, but yeah, and also, uh, the female singers um, I forgot their specific names in real life but um, two of them ended up on the show Martin yeah the singers at the, the beginning like I said the beginning of the little shop little yep. shop of horrors and then they, they do like some of the background like later too like especially like uh, it's feeding time um, <laughs> yeah. feed Miss Seymour I mean it's just such a good one uh, you know I just, I, I do kind of wish it had more songs, but, you know, not everybody can have, you know, hits like Everything Comes Down to Pooh, which was from the prior musical I mentioned, the Scrubs musical. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, so I will uh, with 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 the with the poo thing. We'll uh, go to our next <laughs> my next choice. Poo is a great shifter of, yeah. of topics. Great Poo's segue. Great. great segue. All right, my next choice is a film that came out in 1980, uh, written and directed by John Land, uh, directed by John Landis, written and dire- written by uh, John Landis and Dan Aykroyd. A film called The Blues Brothers. About Jake and Elwood, uh, Jake gets released from prison. Uh, he made a promise to go see the penguin, a nun, um, at the orphanage where him and Elwood grew up. And she tells them that uh, the Cook County Assessor's Office uh, wants them to pay $5,000 in tax back taxes and the church won't pay for it. So they're on a mission from God to help save their orphanage and just... What a hell of a movie. Um, again, first frame, uh, except for the first couple minutes of the movie, I, I don't like the fact that it opens up with such a long sequence of Jake walking through a prison with no dialogue whatsoever. Um, that was a weird choice. But once the music starts kicking in, um, I mean, some great performances, uh, you know, f- throughout. I mean, you got James Brown as the uh, the preacher in the movie with a choir that's led by Chaka Khan. Um, Aretha Franklin actually ended up making a, a bit of a comeback uh, because of this movie, um, singing uh, the song "Think in a Diner." I uh, got John Lee Hooker, Cap Calloway um, singing "Minnie the Moocher." Um, just, just throughout uh, some bits of trivia here. The first draft of the script was over 300 pages long. A typical Hollywood script is at most going to be 100 maybe 120 pages for for a drama um, because if you think about it in in what in for a script approximately one minute of film is one page on a script uh so it was never going to be that long paul schaefer um david david letterman's band leader uh was actually supposed to be in the blues brothers um because he um on saturday night live was actually the one that helped get the blues brothers together but he was not able to be in the movie because gilda radner had a one-woman show on broadway that he was the musical director of and you um at the end of the movie blink if you miss it a certain person by the name of steven spielberg has a cameo He's the Cook County Assessor at the end of the movie that uh, Jake and Elwood pay the money to. Um, very brief cameo. Um, he looks a little different, obviously, than than what he looks now. He doesn't have the full beard, just a mustache. But um, it, 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 that movie's great. I actually have been to Chicago a couple of times and saw some of the... Um, places where that where they filmed it um and and it's funny too because a lot of the places where they filmed the blues brothers um they ended up reusing a few years later for an an action movie you may have heard of called the fugitive um like city hall for instance uh was used as the fugitive for um a a prison scene where uh richard kimball goes to visit a prisoner he thinks is the one-armed man but it's somebody else and um just what a great movie i'm sure you've seen the blues brothers what are your thoughts I, I have not. That's not one that I've caught. Oh my yeah, the shocked wow. face. I know that doesn't like really translate to our listeners, but <laughs> uh, no, that's not one that I've seen. Mm. That's another one the Reverend has missed. Uh, that's one you should rectify. That is definitely a good choice. But what's your next one? So my number four. This one released in 1975. I have no clue when I actually saw it for the first time, other than proper, probably inappropriately too young. But a Rocky Horror Picture Show starring 
Tim Curry. So this one you've seen, I think. Yeah, I have. Okay, way more people have seen Rocky Horror Picture, but I'm actually I'm really surprised every now I I still run into a fair amount of people who haven't seen it, but I I love that it's his early one and he's not ashamed of it. Like he still was had a picture of him. Uh, I wanted to go see him at Comic Con. It was either last year, or year before. Yeah. Um, not not this last one just got canceled or whatever, but I think it was a year or two before that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, but he was still with that banner, so it's not like a, a Tu Wong Fu issue, which is, you know, he, um, what's his name? Really regretted doing that one. Patrick Swayze? Yeah, he like, you know, he regretted that one. But uh, <laughs> I, I love that Tim Curry, like, he loved it, he loved doing it. Uh, but what about you, before I go into any of my nerddom on it, if there was anything you wanted to talk about? Um, I, I would say this. I've I seen it at home, of course, but if you are going to see it for the first time, watch it with an audience, uh, a proper audience. Um, I know in Portland here, uh, the Clinton uh, Street Theater is famous for their um, weekly, uh, I don't know now, of course, with the pandemic, how they're doing it, if at all, but under normal under normal times, uh, every Saturday night, they would have a midnight showing of Rocky Horror with performers. Um, I actually have a former co-worker of uh, one of my old employers uh, that is, um, she lives in Maryland, and she's actually part of a troupe that does, uh, you know, live Rocky Horror uh, performances. She usually ends up playing Janet, um, but just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful movie up until the halfway point. After the the second half of the movie gets a little weird and dark (laughs) for my taste, and I, I don't necessarily like that it's like after meatloaf arrives and sings you know um um hot patootie bless my soul um it's just it, it goes a bit downhill there for me but up until that point it's it's just really damn good and um actually had a chance to um uh it, it, to interview barry bostwick um briefly uh when um i uh, was a writer for latino review media ended up uh, ask, uh asking him a question um uh but i was i also uh i went to a, a, a showing of the rocky horror picture show that he actually introduced uh, as well, so I, I, I very cool. Yeah, I definitely love Rocky Horror. But you got some trivia. What's the trivia? Well, I mean, I actually haven't seen it uh, in person either. There's part of me that's honestly a little bit nervous about it. Cause I know there's shit they do to newbies if they figure oh. out you're new. Yeah, I know there's something they do to you, and I don't want that to happen to me. What they do is this: what they um, what they did at the Barry Boswick showing. Um, I did the, the Clinton Street players were running that. Is that the new people will come up on stage, and usually a friend will come along as well. And the new person has to lie down on the ground with their legs kind of uh, like. Up a bit, and th- there's th- there's a donut hole that is placed on on their lap, and the other person has to eat the donut hole um, without using their hands in front of everybody. So just make sure that you don't go with someone like me because Aubrey w- will not want to go because I will be the one to be like she's never seen it, she's never seen. Don't go with a person like that. <laughs> And if it's your first time, wash your junk. 
pretty much. Well, they're I mean, gonna have somebody like in the business area of that. So I mean, donuts well, will only cover it so far. <laughs> well, it was funny. There was um, there was an odd number of people that they brought up for the Barry Bostwick showing. Um, so he, Barry Bostwick himself ended up eating the a donut hole um, that was placed, I believe, on a young lady that may have been seventeen. So, the whole audience, and Uh, and everybody's clothed, of course, but just, it's an awkward position to be in with so many people looking at you, but ultimately what I love about Rocky Horror is that it celebrates being you, the beauty of just being you, and that, that, that that to me is a beautiful thing, Uh, that's, that's why I love, you know, even though the second half of the movie is not my favorite, if you're seeing it with, if you're seeing it with an audience, and you got that vibe in the room of everybody, you know, yelling at the screen, throwing toilet paper, and all that stuff, it's, it's, there's nothing that beats that, so once the, once the pandemic wraps up, if you have not seen it with an audience, see it with an audience, just don't watch it with an asshole like me. (laughs) Yes, I won't watch it with you i will watch it with somebody who will covenant in blood with me to not rat me out for being a new person so i don't have to have a stranger in my crotch but uh so yeah i haven't seen it live so i've, I've only seen the movie and like i mentioned i'm pretty sure it happened inappropriately young because i know i saw it as an adult and went i saw this as a child and why would i have seen this as a child and i just remember as a kid like the thing that stuck with me, I didn't know what movie it was, but I remembered the scene when I saw it, and that is when Tim Curry comes out in all of his man-thigh glory, and with an intro, like, sweet transvestite, that was intended to be burned into your memory. Oh, <laughs> like, how'd you do uh? And then the way he does his voice, by the way, like, I love how his character sounds, and I try to emulate that with certain haunt characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's funny trivia to that one because apparently the accent from Frankenfurter changed a lot, like between auditions to even how he practiced it when he knew he was going to have the role or something. Mm-hmm. But I guess what said it was he listened to an English woman say, and I'm throwing this in quotes here, do you have a house in town or a house in country? And for some reason, the way that sounded, he decided then and there that the Frankenfurter absolutely had to sound like the queen. <laughs> and so that's what he's doing in his head the whole time is trying to do this almost snobby voice. <laughs> and um, so, and I love that voice. And I've stolen it because I never took it as the queen. I took it as kind of like the smooth, like, you know, because that, that character is very dark and seductive. And, you know, uh, so I take it as that. So I thought it was funny. Mm-hmm finding out that his intention was to sound like the queen but um yeah i i love this movie i could watch it over and over it's like one of those like i have to remind myself that no tracy just because you saw it as a child does not mean you can show your stepkids this (laughs) that is not a good idea but uh you know tim curry he's great uh if you haven't seen it definitely watch it be ready for man thigh don't watch it on too large of a screen if you're not mentally prepared for that image but uh, Tim Curry is just a great dude anyway. And, you know, he had a stroke, which I didn't know about for a long time. And I guess he's pretty much wheelchair bound. Yeah. Um, and I had found some trivia, like kind of researching all this because somebody was interviewing. Cause he still gets interviewed about this. That's how epic and like culty level this musical is. He still gets asked about it. 
But uh, he got asked, or somebody had made a comment to him about his sense of humor, and I just loved his response. It's like, it's not tough to maintain, it's just part of my DNA. And so just, Rocky Horror, I wanted to give him a quick props, because Tim Curry is also just an awesome dude. I mean, watching that on the big screen for the first time, his entrance when the elevator comes down and it's him uh, tapping his foot in time, and then you see, I mean... He may be what five six five seven in real life, but he felt like he was seven. You thought he was seven feet tall by how he handled himself, and then when he throws the cape, I'm just a sweet trend. It's just like fuck oh. yeah. I mean, just so. I mean, good. it's jarring, but you love it. You can almost tell like that he enjoyed the role, and I guess he had some pretty conservative upbringing too. So a little bit of this, from what I recall, and I couldn't find it, which it bums me out when I hear trivia, and I know. I heard it somewhere but I can't find it mm-hmm. because to me I don't feel as comfortable sharing that because it's relying on my dipshit memory and I try not to rely on that that's why I google calendar everything <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I had heard that that was a little bit of a rebellion to kind of his more traditional upbringing right. but that he had really liked musicals and was really excited to get to do this one when you know he had heard about it so nice alright my next one came out in the late 70s. It was originally supposed to be called Disco High School, but um, the one of the story uh, creators on it by the name of Joe Dante, who later ended up writing and directing the movie uh, Gremlins, um, suggested that it be changed to a more appropriate rock and roll high school. Have you ever seen that? I have not. All right. Um, it's... Um, produced by Roger Corman, um, so that was the spoiler from earlier. Um, <laughs> it's uh, a story of a young lady by the name of Riff Randall who really desperately wants to see the Ramones in concert and wrote a song for them called Rock and Roll High School and ends up meeting the Ramones at the end of the movie and the Ramones come to her school and help her blow it up. Fuck yeah, that's what a movie's supposed to do. Um, yeah, some of um, a couple bits of trivia here is that the Ramones were actually not the first band considered for the film. They were actually looking for Cheap Trick of all bands, which um, I love Cheap Trick. i um, actually uh, seen them in concert, but didn't fit with the vibe. The Ramones fit the... Because this, this is really just a B-movie. All the characters are cliches they're stereotypes but that's not necessarily a bad thing it's but it's just it's a simple fun story the music is great throughout if you're a fan of the ramones um you even get a little mini ramones concert halfway through uh which is great just it's cheesy it's goofy it's got silly humor it's got clint howard who's going bald he's ron howard's older brother i believe um playing a high school student that has an office in the women's restroom um you know helps the it's it's tough to to really explain it but just overall one hell of a great film uh great you know great soundtrack throughout they even had a paul mccartney song on it so roger corman was able to get some money for that but you know not for other stuff but anyway what is your last choice my last choice is not only my favorite musical of all time it is also my favorite movie of all time came out in 71 is a classic i don't think i've met anybody who has not seen it willy wonka and the chocolate factory never saw it (gasps) you're my first person who's never seen willy wonka and the chocolate factory that's amazing gene wilder and everything huh 
Yeah, just never. I mean, I, I love the original book. Um, I, I really hate the Tim Burton version. I mean, Tim Burton uh, is just, the last 20 years have just been absolute sewage from um, him in terms of the movies he's made. I I try to look at it this way, because yes, since I'm going to talk about this one, I'll, I'll talk about that one if I must. But <laughs> I view them as two different movies. I... I, I wouldn't rewatch the new one anyway, like as a standalone, but I definitely would not call it a remake. And it was never intended to be a remake of this one because how could you? Yeah. Um, first of all, to try to top Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka is just crazy, you don't top crazy Gene talk. Wilder. Like it's, yeah, you don't, well, top you him. don't top Gene Wilder period, but also like you don't top when it is such an ingrained classic because I know this one is for a lot of people. Um, I remember I actually saw this for the first time in school because they couldn't find a substitute teacher and my teacher was sick. So, you know, in good old Texas tradition, when they don't teach, they shove a movie in front of you. All right. So <laughs> this was the movie that day. But it's it is. It's all my it's my all time favorite movie and it's my go to comfort film. Like one really cute story. I have about an ex as we were watching a movie one night, I forget what it was, and he just like looked at me and I had literally just found out the worst way possible through Facebook that my friend had died mm. and he like stopped everything and like put in the movie for me because he knew that's what I would want to watch and it is it's been there for me through like shitty breakups uh, my my friend dying like very unexpectedly you know family members stuff like that so it's just it makes it's a feel-good movie uh, the only thing I can't stand is the kids tone deafness uh, that plays Charlie, but it's funny. I guess, like trivia-wise, they were supposed. They told him that they were going to cut him out. Uh, yeah, the kid that played Charlie, uh, not all of him, but his vocals. Like they were going to dub over him. He was not a child actor. He was a child who acted. And if that wasn't already made apparent, because like it, it was talked about a little bit at the time. Like he was a very clever, very smart up there kid, like in mentality for a 13 year old, right. but he actually grew up to be a veterinarian. Uh, he turned down a three film deal with them. Uh, like I'd mentioned, he was very smart and capable and it was quoted that he had turned it down at 13 because he quote, wanted the freedom to choose what he played and in what picture. So that spun him to becoming a veterinarian instead of a child actor. And uh, another really, there's two other things that I love about this movie. Uh, He became really good friends with Gene Wilder. And a fun fact, there's this very iconic scene at the end, and most people know I'm talking about where he's like yelling at Charlie and Grandpa Joe. It's like, no, you did this. You bumped into the ceiling, which has to be lost. You lose. Good day, sir. And like that whole thing was supposed to be yelled at Charlie. And the thing was, is Gene knew that the child that was about to walk in the room did not know that that's what was about to happen. And he felt so bad about it that if you watch that scene, he maybe looks at Charlie once. And the rest of it is all directed at Grandpa Joe. Like, he couldn't even do it, which I thought was a sweet moment, like, after learning about it and go back. Um, And then the last thing is just that I thought it was cool. Parents really didn't like this movie when it first came out. Mm -hmm. It received really bad reviews. But then they found that the children responded to it really well. And it may have been in one of the many either commentaries or documentaries that I've seen because there's, like, some mini ones. I've bought special editions of this. Um, but I remember someone pontificating basically that it 
may have been because children really appreciate clear rules and boundaries, and parents assume that kids don't like that. So they, the parents thought this would be harsh, but the kids who watched it really appreciated it because it, like, even though there's the joke about the contract in the beginning, it seemed so clear to them when the kids were misbehaving and doing bad things that they actually, they felt like they got the rules that the parents didn't almost in a way. Right. But uh, <laughs> yeah, like they got the rules better than the parents did because the parents are looking at this long thing. But as a child observing, it is very obvious, you know, don't eat the gum after he just said not to, don't drink the drink after he just said not to, like, so that kind of thing. So maybe we can challenge you to watch this one one day, if, unless you've got like a beef with Gene Wilder. Did he take out a wrestler and I'm unaware? Yeah, February. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but no joke, Gene Wilder, he's the only um, star that's that's died and I cried. Like I, I legit, I remember where I was. I was at work and I made an excuse to go home. Yeah, I, there's something I read recently. Um, there there was a YouTube channel I came across and I found out they have a Facebook page. So I started following a Facebook called Weird History. Um, uh-huh. and, I love it. Yeah, and one of them uh, was detailing stories that people said of times they met celebrities. And there was one guy who told a story about um, he worked at a pharmacy and was delivering medications in New York. Knocked on the door because the the delivery was running a little late, and it turned out to be Gilda Radner when she was suffering through cancer, and um, she ended up yelling at him because the drugs were late and everything, and just I mean going through cancer, it that wasn't how she would normally act. But I get it if you're you know have a terminal illness or whatever, your emotions yeah. may be all over the place. That's and that's, you don't feel the great when you're having poisons and shit shoved through your body because it's yeah. still like the the general treatment. Yes. <laughs> So that's, uh, you know, so the guy talked about, you know, like he understood, just let her vent. And then, you know, as he was walking, walking away, he was like less than a block away from that delivery. Someone came and tapped his shoulder. It was Gene Wilder apologized to him for his for you know the interaction with with gilda and just said you know she's going through a lot right now and then ended up i guess giving the guy like a hundred dollar tip or something like that just did his best to actually make the pharmacy guy um you know feel good especially after uh what happened there and then it, it just everybody that you hear talk about gene wilder just has nothing but good things to say about him and mel brooks um you know wrote a lot of his early early uh uh, films like the producers and blazing saddles um he 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 wrote them for gene wilder specifically because he viewed gene wilder as the more handsome version of mel brooks so um and and you know because i i i wasn't a huge gene wilder fan growing up until i saw the producers for the first time and you know such a good one such a good one now one and uh here no evil see no evil is a gem if you haven't seen that one it's slapstick enough i think you'd appreciate it's a uh, richard pryor too and those two together yeah uh, you know because richard pryor was supposed to be in blazing saddles uh he actually wrote it yeah but uh the, the the he could not be insured for it because of his drug um drug issues <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he had a little bit of a problem. It was very well known, and it was unfortunate. But I'm I'm glad who they got to play Bart. But and uh, fun fact, if you didn't know this, uh, Gene Wilder before he died, he did uh, write a few books that I have read. I think they're both great. They are not too long because I'm, I'm I don't read a lot of very long books. <laughs> as I joke about like not being very well read, I have read some. Just you know, these two happen to be shorter, and I actually appreciated it because not every book needs to be. A thousand pages right but the woman who wouldn't 
and My French Whore. And they're both really <laughs> awesome books. Um, I just, I, he's something that got lost. I, I'm still sad that he's gone. And But I understand, like, keeping it down. Like, he didn't want a bunch of people knowing that he was sick. It kind of hit us a lot out of nowhere. But I never got mad. Like, I was like, oh, I get it. You just didn't want your fans to be sad you wanted them to remember you with happy memories all the way up to the end and delight them as much as you could i was actually waiting for a book tour i was going to try to get his autograph oh, man. but uh yep yeah, because he was doing a few book tours because of woman who wouldn't in my french horror and i was waiting for the next one and then nothing happened nothing happened and then he passed away so i guess he was sick by then yeah and also too i mean what was he in his 70s 80s i mean lived a nice oh. long life i mean <laughs> I just love that he cameoed on Will and Grace for a while. He just showed up. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, not cameo, because that would imply that he was playing himself. He, he just big name on a show that you wouldn't expect him to be on. But he was just this, he was like Will's boss for a while, I think. Like, I forget, I just remember going, is that Gene Wilder? Like, my mom was watching it in the background one day. But, hmm. but anywho, um, any more thoughts or should we go on to your last one? Let's move on to my last one here. This is a movie that came out in 1999 um, and one that really, really shocked me because it's a movie based off of a television show. At the time when this came out, the show was about two, maybe three seasons in and... If you watch the first two, three seasons of this particular show and then you watch the movie, uh, the movie was just so mind-blowing in terms of what they were able to do uh, with the characters involved. It's South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Oh my god, how did I not think of that one? I, dumb side note, because yes, I love this movie and I, I won't say too much about it because <laughs> it does kind of check all the marks of having a great soundtrack. Um, it does, in a sense, it does have good choreography, mm-hmm. even though it's all, Crappy um, cartoons, you know, yeah. drawn, it's, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, that was the show that was like super, super fucking not allowed in our house. <laughs> and so my brother for his birthday, just despite my mom, I went with my dad who knew about this rule. Like I'm pretty sure he knew <laughs> he still let me buy it and give it to my brother. I insisted on letting him unwrap it in front of my mom and she was so pissed. Like, <laughs> Yeah, um, just what a movie. I mean, I I went in just kind of expecting what you... Because a lot of times when they make movies off of TV shows kind of like that, the movie itself is more of a cash grab. It's not... There's no real passion to it. It's just put out because they know there will be an audience there. Um, But once the song started going, like, Uncle Fucker. um, (laughs) That is seriously one of my favorite fucking songs like is, does, is salty chocolate balls in this one too or is that just a standalone from the show it's that, stand- okay that's see, I from, thought so. well that's the, the that's the, well they on the show they had um a special episode uh chef aid um to promote an album that south park uh that the trey and matt put out uh for the for the chef aid <laughs> I, episode. I bought that for my brother too <laughs> yeah um but but just so so good the songs um like blame canada of course uh, I like the medley when they meet up with the the La Resistance, the French uh, the French uh, revolutionary tries to help them. Oh, yeah. Um, Viva and, La Resistance. Yeah. The, the, yeah, and just I, I 
I, 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 more than anything, I loved the very end. You know, um, when every when everything is is better, the parents love Terrence and Philip again, and then everybody just it's a, they do a reprise of Mountain Town, the same song that opens opens up the movie, and just wow, it was just like they did it. They 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 not they hit a grand slam home run and and just showed what what good storytellers they were. Um, you know, the songs, uh, what would Brian Boitano do? I mean, bizarre song, but it fits and just, I, I can't say enough about it. I wish they had gone ahead. There were plans on making another one, um, that they ultimately scrapped, but they used it, um, the idea of, uh, that they had for three episodes of the show. You may have heard Imagination Land was supposed to be the sequel. Oh, yes. Imagination. <laughs> that would have been so awesome. So horrible. <laughs> the little friends in the trees, I forget. They had a name, right? Uh, which one? Oh, the Blood Orgy. Oh, like, the, the, Chris, the, Woodland, the Imagination Land, right? Hey, like, say, Blood Orgy! What, yeah, that's the Woodland Critters, you know. Um, we, can't, <laughs> we can't rape or eye socket unless one of us has AIDS. Oh. <laughs> yes, that whole conversation about like whether or not they should go ahead and rape the eye socket because A strawberry none shortcake, of them had yeah. AIDS to fulfill the promise <laughs> Of giving them AIDS by raping them in their eye socket. I mean, you have to give the woodland critters like credit where it is due for integrity. But uh, yeah. but yeah, no, both so the trilogy that you're talking about, the triple episodes and this movie are fucking awesome. I would, I would think probably most of our fan base has seen it. I, um, I would but if you that. haven't, I would recommend it. It's a treat. Yep. All right. Let's move on to our album review of the week. Tell the folks at home which album we are reviewing this week. So we are reviewing one of the albums from one of my all-time favorite cover bands, Swing the Vote by Postmodern Jukebox. I have listened to so many of these songs that I honestly didn't know what was on this album. Um, This was one that we had picked based on me mentioning that there is a cover of Sweet Child of Mine um, from a prior review that we did. Uh, refresh me of the band name. I'm really bad with band names. We'll learn that as we do the show. Uh, <laughs> Guns and Roses. Thank you. See, I'm bad with the classics. Like, I love these off brands that nobody else has heard of. Like, I know those. Like, is that postmodern jukebox? But I can't tell you. Anyway, so um, that was why we picked this one. Uh, it turned out to have a lot of songs and a lot of talent on here that I loved. Um, some top singers that you see a lot if you follow postmodern jukebox at all. And uh, I really love that one of them even featured the winner of a contest. Um, so we'll get to that one later. But overall, what did you think about it? Um, there were parts I really enjoyed from it. Um, the album was a bit of a mixed bag, and we'll go through that as uh, you know we go go through it song by song. But uh, for me, going into this, under you know, I, I was introduced to them by you, of course. Um, and and going into it, I I um wanted to judge it based on how successful they were in terms of taking a modern song and making it sound old. And yes. when they, when they were able to 
make me think that a song, a modern song, was something that came from the 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s, then you know they, they you know, then they would be be successful at that point. And when they did it, they did it really well. Uh, sometimes, in my opinion, some of the results were not so even. But I, a lot of a lot of that just boils down to my personal taste, probably uh, more than anything else. But overall, it wasn't bad. I'll put it that way. Yeah, there's some times where they definitely, I feel like it's just a song, like it could have existed at any time. Yeah. Or there's some where I'll mention that I feel like you could have taken exactly how they're singing it and just put it over the original track, and it would have been the exact, like it would have matched. Right. So, and if you're going to do that, it better make up for it somewhere else in the songs, which I definitely cover. And I'll also probably pepper in because this is kind of a multi-sense type entertainment um, because they also do quite a bit of uh, production value, especially uh, more recently in their videos. So if there's anything notable about the video, I am going to try to bring it up. Okay. So let's go through it track by track here. So track number one, Are You Gonna Be My Girl? What were your thoughts? Well, this one featured Addie Hamilton and she's probably one of my favorite female vocalists from PMJ. Um, I love the change tempo with more of the band coming in. I extra appreciate when PMJ version wants to make you move just as much as the original song. Uh, so I appreciated all that about it. It was a very high tempo. I thought Addie did great vocal work with it. And uh, in the video, there is a dancer cameo appearance. It's Ksenia. Um, she's a world-renowned swing Lindy Hop dancer, and the reason that she cameos in the video is because she apparently uh, appeared as a special guest during the Postmodern Jukebox tour when they were in Cork, Ireland. So they wanted to do the video with her since she had camped, or done it, done that song like for the tour. Right. Uh, so you could check her out singing or her dancing like a fool, Addie singing it like a pro. What did you think of Are You Gonna Be My Girl? Uh, I liked it. It was a good one. Um, the notes I had, uh, it makes you forget the origins of the song. Um, you could easily picture this being played in some speakeasy in the 30s. Um, you know, when, with a cover like this, it's, it's kind of, it, it can... When it's done correctly, it's kind of like the Nine Inch Nails uh, Johnny Cash thing with Hurt. You know, it can become a whole new song, and and that just shows you how talented the original songwriters were, and and shows you how talented the people covering it are by making it sound and feel different. So, um, I definitely, definitely appreciate it. Would I call it my absolute favorite? Probably not, but um, for for what they were able to do, I think they did really, really well. Yeah, well, they definitely seem to have fun with all of these. Yep. All right, the next one, Bad Romance, Reboxed. What were your thoughts? So this one featured Sarah Niemitz. I, I do, I'm not sure how to say her last name, but I love her. She is a voice, another one that she, she has a distinct sound to her, and I tend to love what she does with her voice. And this one also features, and you do hear it, it's not just a visual, the Soul Sisters. So that interesting tapping that you're hearing are in fact tap dancers. The first time I heard this song, I thought it was actually a percussion instrument at first right. um, because I didn't get early on that there was a visual accompaniment that was intended for many of these. Uh, what I really loved is that it actually worked. It, it seemed to play well as an instrument instead of being overly distracting from the song. And some of their videos, one actually later, 
in the same um, album. I feel the tapping really just pulls and it fights the music, but this one, it kind of worked together with it. Uh, I enjoyed the fun piano work. Really, all of the instruments worked well together with no one overpowering the other across actual instruments, vocal instrument, and like I said, the tapping. Probably one of my favorite songs overall from them, but it's basically based on how well they balanced across those three elements. Uh, and it's enjoyable. I love watching <laughs> Sarah uh, sing anything. She's very, very charismatic. So you will see her arms going. She gets almost into a character with it. And then the Soul Sisters, you know, that's two women, two sisters or whatever, like tap dancing at the same time, which is also just very impressive to watch. Uh, very well choreographed. So overall, visually and for my ears, super, super delightful to me. But uh, what did you think of it? Well, me, um, the notes I had, the music kind of sounds like what you would hear in old newsreels uh, when they're talking about gangsters like Deadline, Chicago, Al Capone. Without, it, <laughs> I, it really brought that out. Um, the singer I thought was fine, but I, I just didn't think that the vocal delivery worked with the with the music um instrumentally it, it was just odd um and and that, that you know for some of the critiques i have for some of the songs uh, uh later on it's it's kind of the same thing it's just to me it felt like an odd choice um and and i did bring up the tap dancing i didn't think it was actually people really tap dancing but I just still didn't think it was really needed, you know? It, it was more distracting than anything, and just, I, I was just ready for the next song at that point. All right. <laughs> I upset Tracy. She's almost crying now. Oh, no, I'm just like, he's going to say, all right, next song. I'm just waiting for it like a good kid. I'm all just right. sitting here waiting my turn. <laughs> all right, well, the next song then. Call Me Maybe. What were your thoughts? So this one features Vaughn Smith, and I really like Vaughn Smith. Uh, I think he's got an excellent voice. He's got a great range, which definitely he shows more in the next song that he does here. Um, There's a few covers of this song that they've done, but this one's probably my favorite, which says a lot, because the previously done one was by my all-time favorite vocalist with this group. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really like the soft piano intro and just Vaughn's voice there with it, with the twinkling of those keys. It just kind of really takes you into this lovely ramp up of the tempo. And then suddenly it's like, well, call me crazy. Or, you know, (laughs) I really liked how he also seemed to play with his voice with it to give it a little bit of that little old folky sound. Like uh, one of my favorite comedians made fun of how people used to sing, quote unquote, back then. It's like, I've got plenty of nothing. So I felt like he kind of brought a little bit of that tone into it. Uh, And then as far as, uh, I love that the piano got like a nice little attention-grabbing solo there in the middle. Like, I don't feel like I hear a piano solo and think of it as a solo. I more think of it as, oh, like they're just not singing right now. So it was nice to see the piano kind of get to get a moment in the middle of a song. Um, And it's one of those that I feel like PMJ did it better. I, I liked this version better than the original Call Me Maybe. Uh, and then nothing really to write about with the video other than Vaughn's just a treat to watch. Uh, 
it's just him and their lovely background. Yeah, myself, I did dig the opening. Um, the song does really give the vibes of music from the 40s, which was good. Um, I did note that, uh, in this case, Vaughn, uh, the singer, was too Broadway for my taste. Uh, what I mean by that is this. Um, technically good, but it's just more of, you know, like what you said, you know, singing out the lyrics. and It, it was just too much and i think the song more than anything was way too lyrically heavy um to really mesh well with the music um you know this may have been a case to where they should have edited uh something and or maybe not repeat the chorus as much as they did um but you know or maybe just stick with an instrumental or something but this didn't really connect with me so yeah, I think that can honestly describe a lot of songs, if I were to totally be honest. There's a lot where it's like, I love a cover, but you could have cut one or two of the repeats of like a chorus. There's some that get really repetitive, especially because we do already know the songs. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you get exhausted with those repetitive lyrics a little bit more just because you're hearing a cover of something that maybe had already exhausted you with the first version of it. Right. So totally feel that one. Uh, and I will always meet that with little bit of criticism with them is like you guys could have shortened this yeah but it's it's their production and i'm not going to tell them what to do (laughs) (laughs) they're the ones making money out of it all right um the next track we'll move on here cry me a river what did you think and this one's also vaughn uh so I really liked the super grabbing intro with just the piano and everything striking at the just the beginning that bum 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 Bum, 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 bum. Like, it was just very almost, like, menacing. And then you've got his voice for, again, like, he's kind of... This one, I feel like he's less talking and actually singing. Yeah. Uh, a lot more of his range comes on, even from the, begin- the beginning, where he's almost whispering it, too. It's like, you are my son. And then it just goes into it. And then at the very end, like, he just hits this whole crazy range, and it's like, damn, that boy can sing. Uh, but overall, I thought the piano work and the trombone throughout was a great blend of supporting instruments. And then he got to just really make up for, yeah, he gave you a performance in the last song. And this one, he more actually sang because there's yeah. a difference between performing a song and singing a song. So I thought it was cool that they even placed them next to each other to see his range of talent. Yes, me. I, this was the best song on the album, uh, bar none. Um, the notes I had were simply, it's like Tina Turner from the 60s type of frenetic energy. It's like Jessica Rabbit singing at the beginning of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's sensual, it's sexy, it's filthy, it's great. He sang his ass off. I mean, if you're going to listen to one song off this album, you got to listen to this song right here because it, it really... I mean, it, it captured the spirit of the original song. I actually like some blue-eyed soul. Um, so uh, Justin Timberlake is is not a bad singer. So, I mean, I did like the original song, but just they were able to make this sound vintage, but it brought... It's, it wasn't in old... They weren't trying to make you think that this song was from the 40s, but they were just interpreting this song with essentially older instruments with with how it would have been so i i i just really really love this song yes i mean it's this one we're gonna have a different favorite on this one but i think the other one that you might also enjoy too but yeah vaughn totally knocked out of the park i would listen to this one and I also really like the original, too, so it's not even necessarily that anyone did it better. Uh, did it check all the marks, though? Did it take me back in time? Was it excellent vocals? Was it awesome blend with the instruments? And 
did everything I loved that PMJ are just what I think are masters at. All right. The next track, Grenade. What were your thoughts? Not a bad song, but not on the top of my PMJ hit list. Um, Honestly, I didn't think it sounded too much of a transformation from the original, which just makes it super hard for me to get into it because it just feels like I'm listening to a cover of a song, which I love covers, but I usually like something unique about it, you know, like a... Yeah, pentatonics, like how they do beatbox and all the different, you know, stuff with their mouth, you know. But anyway, so it's got to be different. This one, I just don't think it served. Uh, Music quality-wise, I did enjoy the piano and percussion. They're solid work, like always. Nothing really overpowering each other or the vocal talents. And that's just what PMJ excels at anyway, is finding that balance, in my opinion. And vocal-wise, Brielle is another favorite of mine. I still like her work in the song, just overall it's just one of those songs that was was it bad no it's just there for me what uh, about you um me the notes i had i mean uh, this was clearly an homage to um like the girl groups from the 60s uh like the ronettes um and in like the supremes and stuff like that i i i said as well that it this would not rank on my list of the greatest song but what really saves it for me is the energy of the singer um, she really, yes. yeah, she really um, makes up for other feelings in the song that are not her fault. Um, and and I, I think more than anything, like I mentioned with a, a couple songs back, this is just, it didn't mesh well. The lyrics and the music together, just in this case, for me at least, did not mesh well. But if you're going to listen to it, um, the singer, what was her name again? Uh, Brielle, she yeah, she's an amazing vocalist too. Yeah, if you're gonna listen to it, at least listen to it for her. Um, you know, she uh, definitely kept kept my interest throughout, and I did love the low key ending. Uh, the ending uh, did kind of come out of nowhere, and I, I loved how they were able to end it the way they did. So, all right, the next one, Hollaback Girl. <laughs> what did you think? <laughs> Hollaback Girl featuring Adele Anderson, who is easily my number one favorite vocalist with this group. You can always tell it's her. I love her. I feel like her voice alone manages to take you back in in time. Mm -hmm. Like, her voice reminds me of a Jessica Rabbitish voice. And I think there's other songs that would display that better. Right. But as far as this song specifically, um, I love the cello at the beginning. The boom, like... A few times I've been around that track, and she just like goes right into it. So it's like that 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 boom, 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 and then she hits you with her vocals, and then it does a drum solo, and then the song starts. And I thought it was a long intro, but it didn't feel that long because it was still rather entertaining. I loved her talent. I loved the cello. I loved the drums. Um, it's a solid post-modern jukebox cover, um, even though I feel like they could have shortened it to save a little bit of the redundancy feeling that started happening, because this one I love so much, I want to almost listen to it on repeat, but like a shorter version of it. Yeah. But I said, to be fair, that redundancy existed in the original song. But uh, this one is my favorite song on this album. It's fun. I love her voice. I love what they did with the song, because for a second there, you do kind of have to think about, wait, what am I listening to? Uh, and it's it, it makes you it makes me want to move. I like it. It's definitely one that I would have people want to listen to. Not me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I the notes I had were why just why the lyrics and the music just don't work well together. It's an awkward pairing. I put it's the music version of Lyle Love and Julia Roberts. Um, 
the singer appeared to be rushing her performance. It sounded like she was, it's like you have to sing five lyrics within five seconds. And, and she was just trying to fit, it felt like she was trying to fit a lot in with a short period of time. And then uh, the constant repeating of Hollaback Girl, the chorus, it, it, it was just not needed as much as she, as, as she ended up singing it. And, 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 you know, when it comes to a cover, some of the best cover songs have been edited, um, you know, from, from the original. Lines have been cut and, you know, to, to make it... So that the person doing the cover is able to deliver it in a way that's comfortable for them. And I just didn't get... I, to me, this was a performance. You know, to, speaking to what you said earlier, I, I didn't really get any passion from the singer. I mean, she's not bad. She's not a bad singer. Don't get me wrong. But it's just... Ain't no Hollerbeck girl. You know, you just you just expect this from somebody that's singing at uh, an Indian casino in Nebraska. You know, just, just, it, it, she can hit the notes, but there's no real passion to it. It's just too much lyrics. Edit, edit, edit. You don't need to keep on saying Hollaback Girl just because it said it in the original. You can take that song and make it something different, you know, so. Exactly. And like I said, that's one, one critique I will always give a nod to is too long. When the song is too long, it's just too long. And that's something that, because uh, not this one of hers, because this is definitely not my favorite of hers, but I'll still stick to it being my favorite <laughs> on here because it's fun. Mm-hmm. But uh, she does tend to do wordy, though, I've noticed with her. Because uh, some of her songs I wanted to practice to try to do for Murder Mystery Theater. And my number one thing is, like, first of all, I'm cutting, like, half of the words, and I am lowering the tempo. Because she, and that's a talent. By the way, that is also flexing muscle, what you're hearing. Being able to do what she does is, in a sense, kind of what she does. But, yeah, I, I will always agree with that. That sentiment with you guys can shorten some of them. Yeah. All right. The next one, never going to give you up. What did you think? Not one of my favorites. It's good work with the instruments, as always. But it's another example of just not feeling too far from the original. I think whenever you're uh, taking a song that was already initially slow, I feel like they've got more impact when they completely change tempo. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to move away from, well, couldn't you just play this over, like, the original one and it would still totally work, like, when you're going kind of similar tempos. But to be fair, they probably try to reach that in their own market. And there's probably reasons why they've got multiple covers of each song. But great vocalist, great balance with the instruments and the background singers, because I I liked them back there. But for me, it's just a song they did. Um, It's not that it's not a solid cover. It's just nothing that I would put on a playlist like, like, oh, check out this cover band that does like old stuff, because it it did have like an oldie tune to it. It just wasn't different enough for me to get excited about it. But uh, what about you on this one? Uh, my first note, you've been rickrolled in a smoky 50s jazz club. Um, the chorus was a little too sped up compared to the verses in a song. Um, the regular verses were kind of slower and funkier and somewhat more enjoyable uh, than the chorus. The chorus kind of sped things up and, and, and sounded more like it came out in the 80s. Um, just an odd pairing. It was just... The, you know, technically the musicians and the singer were doing their jobs uh, just fine, but it this song did not mesh well with 
the older sounding uh, music presentation. It just felt awkward to me. So um, I didn't dislike it because um, I actually enjoy the original. <laughs> it's not, it's not a, for a one hit wonder, it's not a bad song. Just, you know, when something's yeah. played over and over again, it can get annoying. But um, just, it, it, it was just an awkward pairing. I mean, maybe if it was delivered in a different way, I could have enjoyed it. But they were, it, you know, it's like, your aunt kind of, you know, going nuts on a particular song, you know, it just no real passion. Just meh. it was there. Yeah, to be there. like he he has talent. He's a good vocalist. But I think there may have also been some kind of joke, because I guess when they were touring with this song, they had a hashtag of PMJ Rickrolled. Okay. <laughs> like when this song was kind of touring for a minute, but I didn't look into it. I just kind of saw it come up whenever I was like, oh, OK, they had a hashtag. So. Maybe there's a bigger joke here. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next one then. Pony. One, I never heard the original, but what did you think about this song? Oh, I didn't know you hadn't heard the original. This one was, I loved it so much because I had heard the original. Um, I do really like the playful intro with the whistling and the tinkling of the piano. Um, the first time I heard this song, it took me a minute to realize it was Pony. And then when she starts singing, singing some of the words that it's like, you know, <laughs> and I just like laughed the entire fucking time. And then I played it on repeat a few times after that because it was really good. Okay. Um, I love the vocals on this. And for me, it was I like that they didn't just take a song back in time, but they also kind of reinvented it in a little bit way. But uh, the vocals were on point, great piano and sax work, although I think they missed the opportunity for a really awesome sax solo here. Uh, I, you know, I wanted there to be more attention to the saxophone because it's like it almost tried to but didn't quite cusp over to doing any cool work. Right. Um, great tempo change about halfway through with a good drop-down feeling leading into a key change, which I also appreciate, a good key change in a song. So overall, really enjoyed this one. You hadn't heard the song before, so it was probably less funny for you. But what did you think? Yeah, I mean, who sang the original? Oh God, it wasn't it. It's a. Uh, I'll look that up. You you okay. talk, and I will find who sang the original because I know it's like a rapper. I think. Yeah, I did like the whistling at the beginning. Um, wasn't in love with the song, but I. This was one where they were successfully able to kind of capture the feel of of being in a big band. You know, um, even though it, it I, even though again, it's not my favorite. It, it, this does not feel like they're attempting to make a cover. It feels like they're they're an older band playing it, which which is definitely good. Um, the singer gave a nice sultry performance. I, I did love that. Um, the piano work was top notch, minimal but emotional. Um, and more than anything, um, I, I think the biggest compliment I can give it is that this sounds like it would fit perfect in an old noir private eye film. Like if there was a scene happening at an old club somewhere and the private eye has to interrogate somebody or get into a fist fight or something like that, you could picture this song being played in the background. Yes, it was genuine, by the way. Okay. The classical artist known as Genuine did the original of Pony. Up there, spelled totally. Up, up there like with you would the Leaf, Up there with Leaf Garrett. As far as I, I don't fucking know. <laughs> never heard it. Probably never will. <laughs> but all right, let's move on to the next one. Same old love. What did you think? Uh, Brielle makes a return to this one. I really like it. My only complaint is that I felt like it went on forever. Um, I tried not to make that comment on all of the songs because this one, I just made it on the ones where it felt particularly painful even for a cover for them. Um, I like the 
the the big band intro in the beginning uh brielle is another one that i think has a very distinct voice and i love how she plays up a song i think it's a fun take on the song they went vintage uh new orleans style but it's not my top it's it wouldn't be something i'd repeat on over i do think that this was a nice uh chance to get brielle a second shot of showing her voice which i think she did great um, all of her work is amazing. It's probably not my favorite one of the stuff that she did, but I think it does a better job showing her vocal range than the prior song. Yeah, the notes I had, the opening kind of reminded me of uh, Cap Calloway's Minnie the Moocher, kind of kind of the same type of uh, uh, beat and whatnot. I felt you could almost sing like the first couple lyrics um, of, of Minnie, Minnie the Moocher over what they uh, sang here. The music was fine. The singing was fine. To me, there was just a disconnect. Um, it wasn't like um, Never Gonna Give You Up or anything like that. It did sound authentic, um, authentically old, um, but just... I, it was just mediocre at best. Um, yep. uh, not not knocking the talent. I mean, she's obviously a great singer. The musicians are great at what they do, but um, it just didn't grab me. So not every song is going to be a hit, though. Ex- like that's just that's how that cookie crumbles. But it doesn't like of course, like we've said many times, they're all extremely talented on what they do. Obviously, way better trained than we are. Uh, yeah, I'm not but, putting on yeah. album anytime soon. So. <laughs> <laughs> I only pretend to sing like sometimes for certain roles. Other than that, I don't I don't claim to be a singer. Yeah. But uh, so the next song, Skater Boy. What did you think? <laughs> <laughs> so it's basically it said that it was a Motown tribute. Um, and even though it's that situation where this one genuinely, I feel like if you just stripped the music and put it over Avril Lavigne's soundtrack, it really would line up pretty much from beginning to end. And even though that's the case, I still really like it. I think it sounds very playful and fun. Um, and for me, uh, the sax solo was actually the star of it, even though it was very short-lived. I almost feel like that's the sax solo that I should have had in that other song. Right. Um, because I think it would have really finished out that other song maybe a bit better. But it was nice to hear a sax feature solo in, in the album. But uh, So what did you think of Skater Boy? Um, it, it, it didn't remind me of Motown as much as uh, Phil Spector's Wall of Sound. Um, he's, he's worked with groups like the Ramones, the Beatles. He's famous uh, for that echoey type of sound. He worked with a lot of people and... I hate that. I hate that sound more than anything. It just sounds instantly <laughs> dated. It just sounds bad. I didn't like it. Um, the sax solo seemed out of place for me. And unlike other songs, this did not feel authentically old. It just felt like someone was having fun playing with GarageBand on their computer. It sounded yes. It sounded. It sounded processed more than anything. Um, you know, again, not knocking the singer, not knocking the musicians, but just with the presentation they were going for, um, trying to make it sound old, it, it, it just sounded fake and, and, and just not, not my favorite. And, and I, I have to be clear with this one because I'm not a fan of the Phil Spector wall of sound. It probably instantly shut off, uh, you know, any sort of potential interest I could have had. Um, so I'm, you know, just blah, blah, blah. I, I just didn't care for it. Yeah. And even then, like, there was no video on this one. The one that they did was just a black and white shot. And then to give you an idea, like, she's holding the, the sheet in front of her. 
Okay. <laughs> like she's like I thought it was interesting because I was like I don't know she doesn't seem like she's one of the normal singers mm-hmm. so I'm not sure if there's more story behind that one I guess is what I'm saying because ultimately these are still people who are friends that do this and are a YouTube band and just happen to tour like they're still not like the biggest shots on the planet but uh, they're not Beyonce but, yeah <laughs> so it, it had a very relaxed feeling I guess yeah. like very much friends having fun in in the garage was very much the feel yeah. All right, the next song, Stone Cold. What'd you think? Uh, Bare piano and vocals, which I'm pretty sure was how the original was done. Um, (laughs) Great talents on both, though. Uh, Definitely sounds more like it's just a cover rather than what you'd expect in a postmodern jukebox performance of a song. Her higher pitch near the end always makes me jump, though, because the song comes on every now and then, like whenever I'm playing stations on Spotify or whatever I'm listening to, and it'll always catch me off guard, <laughs> just like dog whistle level. Um, but even the video is just her singing, the piano going, some person slowly clearing some unused instruments and things from the set. So I, I'm sh- it wasn't my favorite song. There, I'll just say it that way. It was. It was. I think this may have been Cleanse my soul, least favorite out. song. Okay. What was that? Cl- cleanse yourself. Let it out. <laughs> say what you really. Yeah, feel. like I guess I'm pussyfooting around saying like this is my least favorite song. Okay. Um, the notes I had. Uh, the opening sounded like a Carpenter song. Just the kind of low key, mellow '70s, really slow pop that just. not necessarily bad because stuff like Rainbow Connection from the Muppet movie um, that was written by Paul Williams who wrote a lot of the songs from The Carpenter so same type of tempo Um, but eh, um, the opening was okay I guess Uh, song the only real sin this song committed was just not connecting with me music and vocals were fine but it just felt too Broadway it was a performance there was no passion for it Um, the vocal Olympics at the end that could have done without um however the the, what stood out for me if there's going to be a positive is going to be the piano the piano was emotional it was low-key um it it really brought um brought something to the song that other parts of it were lacking so the song is not a complete loss to me because of uh the the piano here so all right let's go to the piece de resistance the reason we are here today Song 12, Sweet Child of Mine. Sweet Child of Mine. I love the piano intro. And I, the boom, like the way that Casey Abrams, he's the one that's singing it, comes in. Um, <laughs> I just love that. Like he does this raspy thing. He, he has a distinct sound to him that I happen to not appreciate as much. So this song was just not going to be for me. Um, and then another thing happens where if you didn't appreciate the tapper and bad romance, I really don't think you're going to like it in this version of Sweet Child of Mine. Um, it felt really clunky. I mean, granted, she's a modern day legend. Her name is Sarah Reich, but, um, she, I'm sure she's great at what she does. I personally, I didn't like it. I didn't think it added to the song and I don't really feel like her dancing added anything to the video either. Like there's this one point where I just feel like she's just kind of rubbing on him. And 
Okay. Yeah. yeah like, just overall, like, I'm sure she's wonderful. I, I'm not like a dance enthusiast, so I don't follow her. I'm sure she does great work. Her tapping, like, looked cool. I just didn't think it meshed well with the song. And then, like, the dancing she did with the, the guy also was awkward. But there's another version of this one that was covered by a lady, and that's the one that I really like. And I might find that one just to share with you because uh, I don't think that one wound up on an album or I would have recommended that one and not this one okay. but uh, what did you think of casey abrams on sweet child of mine oh boy um the delivery was just wrong the music was just wrong the tamp the tap dancing solo why um they were going for a louis armstrong vibe here and just i i why i i just couldn't picture louis armstrong ever singing it's maybe he maybe he would do like what johnny cash didn't do his own interpretation but i i would not picture him singing the song like this um as far as the instruments go the music wise it was fine but um if it was just an instrumental i probably could have enjoyed it but the singer just uh the, what what got me the most of all the where do we go now part uh near the end of the song just he has a certain affectation um where do we get it just it's like bobcat Goldthwait after drinking turpentine or something just just bad just it, yeah it's uh, it's a singing technique and it's not like that gruff that that you add something to it and not everybody can do that um that's something that I can do uh, that's actually how I found out not everybody can do that because it was another person who was actually like been a trained singer is like you can do that like not a lot of people can handle doing that and sing mm-hmm. um, my problem is he did it the entire flipping time and when you do that kind of that to like you're singing you kind of have to use it selectively or it just kills a song and I think yeah. this is a perfect example of he he, he like that annoying person at the gym who has to grunt every time they pick something up. He like he gym <laughs> grunted through the song. That's how I feel about it. <laughs> You're benching twenty pounds, pal. You're not. You don't have to grunt for that. But just uh, oh man. I mean, obviously, I love the original. A couple episodes back, you can hear our thoughts on yeah. on the original song here. And uh, again, I am not against somebody reimagining it, doing something different with it, but just uh, this is just all wrong for all the wrong reasons and if 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 anything for me has to be on my list of worst track on the album it's going to be this right here this one was pretty bad i i agree and see now i feel like i need to make it up to you by showing you the better one later so i will rectify that (laughs) give you a very lovely voice actor or voice talent that they have from time time on there Okay, well the next song here Let's go on to the next one Hopefully a a much better outlook for this one Time After Time, what'd you think? So this one Was sang by the contest winner Who was only 14 years old Um, Postmodern Jukebox Had asked a bunch of fans to submit themselves Singing their favorite PMJ songs And Caroline won with her Submission of Creep, which is a Robin Adele song by the way Just partial to Robin Adele still Um, Overall beautiful talent i loved bringing in a harp um i would have loved to see more done with the harp you can kind of hear it a little bit more at the end you can then you kind of realize that you can you can hear it from the beginning sorry there was a strange cat coming across my screen but it wasn't mine 
Yeah, that was Sherman. Uh, made a little cameo this week because uh, where we have the studio set up here is right by the window where he likes to uh, sit and look out the birds outside. We actually had a hummingbird. But from Monday. my perspective, it just looked like you pulled a cat out of your monitor, so it was really great. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> what was I saying about this song? We're professionals here. Uh, yeah. um, so overall, beautiful talent. I love the harp. Uh, I wouldn't hold it up as an example of the postmodern jukebox style cover. I just felt like it was too close to the original it didn't really take me back in time but wonderful vocalist amazing talent considering she's 14 um, and sings like up there with some of these Broadway singers you know <laughs> but I love that they did a song as a celebration to the fans so I would not even dream of remo- removing it um, but yeah it's it's beautiful would I consider it a cover? No Yeah uh, for me I put it's a different take Um, I mean the classic it's a classic I think uh, from Cyndi Lauper Um, didn't Phil Collins cover this too? So many people have covered it and I think that is more why like if you were going to cover it you needed to do something pretty spectacular with it and I just didn't think they reached as spectacular as they can. Yeah, and that's kind of kind of what I have in my notes. It's like the marriage between the vocal de- delivery and the music was kind of awkward and out of step at times. Um, not like some of the other choices, not like a sweet child of mine like that. Um, there were some places where it really worked, but um, overall, it was okay. Um, it didn't have the old feel, um, but I didn't mind that because it, it's it it. it in that case, it did kind of feel natural, and I did like that part. Um, if anything, uh, the vocal Olympics uh, it occasionally had didn't need that. I'm not a huge fan of singers that you know have to like sing one word, but but prolong that one word for like 45 minutes or something like that. Um, and yes. and she, it, you know, and I think it, finding out that uh, the contest winner was 14 kind of makes sense because I think a more seasoned singer wouldn't not necessarily have um done it like like uh the singer did in the song not to say that that singer's bad because that 14 year old singer could sing miles around me if you oh yes me too you've heard me sing it's not good (laughs) well i mean you've heard me sing and it's like man it's all right i can perform i can perform that's why i say i can perform (laughs) i I don't sing i perform but uh and i think that was really the intent was that she's 14 and has this really great voice and i think they really just wanted to show that so more of the effort went into that Mm -hmm. than the overall song aesthetic and it it shows but i also kind of don't blame them for it because this might be the one time this 14 year old person is on an album yeah and that's one more album than i've been on so (laughs) um it's not it's not knocking the talent i mean but it's our job to you know bring our opinion here and if something doesn't work for me or for you we're 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 gonna say it we're gonna be open and honest about it without saying how dare you 14 year old mess up you should never (laughs) sing again you're off and you should feel a sense of shame and regret everything you do because i didn't like it yeah just be like shame whatever <laughs> shame wizard so the last one rockstar what were your thoughts so this one i i love the intro albeit long i thought it was very clever and silly which we all know i'm a sucker for <laughs> um it took me a long while because to be fair it took them a long while to really get into the meat and potato of this song for you to realize that it was in fact rockstar that you were listening to 
Uh, I think the vocals probably fall under the whole like same tempo as the original vocal lyrics. Um, but I think the music style and the piano do more than enough to distract and recreate the song as a successful PMJ cover. I enjoyed the vocals, especially near the end where there's more a thudding, driving feel that gets matched with the piano and the percussion. Like, I really like it. It felt a little bit more passionate, like, when it kind of got into those parts. Uh, Not something I'd listen to on repeat, but I don't exactly skip past it either when it comes on. Worth listening to once, maybe every once in a while, but it's not skippable, but it's not my favorite. That's a little generous for for my take. Um, Who sang the original song? Um, oh god, Rockstar? Yeah. Wasn't that, oh gosh, uh, everybody loves him right now, hold on. Well, while you're looking that up, I'll go over my notes here. It sounded like they were going for like a buddy guy type of vocal delivery. Uh, He's a blues uh, singer and guitar player. Um, I wasn't familiar with the original song, so I couldn't really compare it. On a technical level, everything is fine for the most part. I just didn't like how the singer delivered the vocals. Uh, The the music didn't work well with such a lyrically heavy song. And uh, the ending vocals reminded me of that Simpsons episode where Bleeding Gums Murphy sang the national anthem at an isotopes game for 45 minutes. Just just <laughs> stop. You know, you don't need... You know, you're not Mariah Carey. Don't try and yes. do that. You know, and she shouldn't even do that. Nobody should do that. But yeah. to answer the other question, it was Nickelback. I thought it was a single person. It yeah. was Nickelback that did Rockstar. Okay. Nickelback. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, it took a while to realize, but I do agree. It felt like, especially at first when he was more talk singing to the style, mm-hmm. um, I felt really, because, you know, you know it's postmodern jukebox, so you know it's a song that you should recognize. And it took well into it to finally realize I was listening to a song that I know I had heard several times. So, um, most successful, eh, not really. Um, I like that it was different. Because this is a style of music, I like that they try to at least pay homage to a lot of different styles, whether they're the most enjoyable to listen to nowadays or not. So can they technically tick a style of music off of their list? Yes. Um, In a way, did I think they kind of successfully did that style of music? Yeah, I'd say they did it pretty successfully. You know, I don't spend a lot of time listening to vintage music, but have I heard like the overly wordy kind of older style of stuff like this? Yeah. So in an odd way, I think it's appropriate, but it's just, it's still not going to be my favorite. Yeah. I mean, overall, um, my thoughts, I mean, postmodern jukebox are, are great at what they do. I do think more than anything, this is a band that's probably best seen and heard live. You know, it, yes. because like what you mentioned with the dancing from earlier, the dancing, the tap dancing or whatever may, it, it really is out of place for just a listening experience for something, for listening to the song on a streaming service or whatever. But I'm sure if you're in the audience live and, and you're seeing, you know, seeing it happen there, that's a different story altogether. I mean, that's why a lot of times live albums don't really connect with um, folks outside of the core fan base, just because if you're not there live seeing them perform getting a getting a sense of everything they're doing then you, you don't really understand it that well and and you don't get a lot of the things so um overall they're great at what they do 
while I did not care for each and every track, um, and I, I don't think they would expect people to like every song, you know, with one, you know, as the greatest song ever, blah, blah, blah. I, I would still say if, if this is on in the background, you're going to, you're going to enjoy yourself. It's, it was, it was good. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely, if you're looking for something uh, for all the people out there working, working from home, looking for something different to put in your ears to wake you up, this is one of those bands that I will revolve through. Um, especially because if you're just sitting there listening to it and you don't have the name right in front of you, mm-hmm. you'll get that, is that, is that Skater Boy? Like, you'll have those <laughs> moments, which also make it more fun. And then, of course, if you are going to intentionally listen, I highly recommend going and finding some of the videos. Um, some of them are really fun, especially some of the early ones where they've done stunts, like made the saxophones have fire coming out of them for a cover of Burn. Like, they do some neat things sometimes. So uh, they are fun on a multitude of levels. All righty. With that... That wraps up another episode. Yay, we did Ooh, it. We did it. All right. Getting tighter at this even. The, yeah, I mean, and also uh, with the way we've been doing our notes the past couple of weeks, I think that's definitely helped out. And then also me seeing the research you've put on definitely spurred me to do a little more research. So that, 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 <laughs> I'm whipping him into shape, everybody. You hear that? That's from Tim himself. That's why he calls me the Reverend. I'm just really strict. There you go. <laughs> the gospel according <laughs> to Tracy. We won't say what that's a callback joke to, but Tim gets it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be tongue-tied there, but anyway, um, <laughs> that wraps it up here for another week. We will see you folks next week. Um, I don't think we'll do a poll next week. I think we will just go ahead and review a Rolling Stones album. How about that? How about that? Yep, you're going to give, see, I'm in jail again, guys. He lets you pick <laughs> one every now and then, and then he throws you back in jail where I don't get to pick again for a minute. But that's okay, because I'm going to delight you guys with a hilarious comedy album next time he lets me pick. <laughs> All right. Well, it'll be the week after that. But um, the album we will review next time is going to be Emotional Rescue. Um, one of my favorite Rolling Stones albums is going to be on the list of the greatest Rolling Stones albums ever? Probably not, because it, this this album does not necessarily have one of their iconic tracks on it. But uh, for me, from first track to last, it's one of their most solid albums. And, and we'll go through it as to why next time. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Thank you all for listening. Remember to tune in again next week. And remember, it's such a good feeling to know you're alive. It's such a happy feeling. You're growing inside. And when you wake up ready to say, I think I'll make a snappy new day. It's such a good feeling, a very good feeling, the feeling you know that I'll be back when the day is new and I'll have more ideas for you and you'll have things you'll want to talk about I will too you always make each day such a special day you know how by just your being you only one person in the whole world like you That's you yourself. I'll be back next time. Bye-bye.
subscribe to Friends Talking Nerdy on iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, as well as Spotify. Remember to support Friends Talking Nerdy on Patreon. Goodbye, darling.